And we all got dreams, we all want things But what you gonna do for it, how you gonna move for it, what you gonna be And do you believe, you can do anything But what you gonna do for it, how you gonna move for it, what you gonna be Another edition of Outside Shots, breaking down college basketball betting for you. You can follow us on X at the Lines US. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich, and you can follow Steven at Steven Andrus. I said it correctly this time, Steven. Nailed it. You're a fast learner. I give you credit. <laughs> I'll take it. And as always, we're going to break down the weekend slate in college hoops, which some thoughts mixed in about the teams and their recent performances I have some very interesting takes on Kentucky, one of the favorites to win the national title, Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to get into that game. They're at at Arkansas this weekend. We're also going to stay in the SEC, talk Auburn versus Mississippi State, go to the Big 12, talk Kansas versus Iowa State, another top 25 battle there. And then we'll finish up the show in the ACC, Clemson at Duke and North Carolina at Florida State. On Saturday should be a jam-packed show here, Eli, and stick around for the very end of the show where I will share quite literally the funniest college basketball betting market I have seen in as long as I can remember. I have not shared it with Eli yet, so I can't wait to see his reaction when I share this at the end. So let's get started here, Eli. We will begin with number six, Kentucky. At Arkansas, this one a 6 p.m. tip-off on Saturday. You can watch it on ESPN. Our friends over at Haslametrics have this as Kentucky, a little bit more than an eight-point road favorite, over-under at 169.7, so in between 169 and 170. Eli, if we look at your up-to-the-date top 25 rankings, your personal college basketball rankings over at thelines.com. You have Kentucky as the number 11 team in the country, so slightly lower than their AP poll ranking of number six. And of course, you have Arkansas not ranked at the moment in your top 25. So uh, what's your reaction again as we record here on Thursday ahead of posting the show on Friday? And of course, lines will come out fr- late Friday night. So the nature of this is we don't know sportsbook odds at this juncture, but we can use our friends at Haslametrics to get an idea of where they post the number. Uh, perhaps sports books will be around that number. Often they are. So let's just operate with this Haslametrics spread of Kentucky around an eight point favorite. I say that your response is what? Well, first, this is going to surprise people just because Arkansas has struggled losing five of their last six. All five of those losses coming by double digits. I make this line closer to. Kentucky minus six and a half minus seven. So I bake in the home spot. Now there are some key injuries that I'll get to with the hogs in a moment, but I'm not calling Kentucky's loss at South Carolina blimp on the radar, meaning that Kentucky's gonna roll or at least not face a loss like that in the near future in SEC play in the foreseeable future. Just because you look back at how South Carolina beat them And you start with on the defensive end for the Gamecocks. Kentucky showed the blueprint once again. First time really since non-conference play. Granted, tough road environment like we're going to see at Bud Walton Arena. But you force them in the half court. And easier said than done. But outside of Rob Dillingham, Kentucky really didn't get out in transition. You crowd shooters like Antonio Reeves, who struggled for much of the game from three. You give up dribble penetration, but then you rotate over and contest at the rim. And Kentucky really didn't have a lot of answers. John Calipari throwing out a bunch of different lineups. I don't think the minutes continuity was there by any stretch. Maybe a lineup played together for three minutes, something like that. But outside of one or two lineups, Calipari was just kind of throwing darts at the board, it seemed like. And then if you go back to the North Carolina win in mid-December, and I go back to that day just because that's when Kentucky got Aaron Bradshaw, one of their Heralded freshman and Onyenso, 6'11", 7-foot big coming off the bench this season. Both of them made their season debuts in that game. And Kentucky, since that mid-December mark, ranks number 137 in adjusted defensive efficiency. They're really exploitable in their pick-and-roll coverage. They're allowing a top 73-point scoring rate across college basketball. And you look at some teams that have really struggled at the defensive end in the NCAA tournament. And I say this not really with a grain of salt, maybe 
a tad just because of how explosive Kentucky can be offensively and on a neutral court. It may not be the same deal as it was at South Carolina on Tuesday night, but most recently, Ohio State in 2021, they were upset by Max A. Smith and Oral Roberts in the first round. They ranked 79th in adjusted defensive efficiency. In 2018, Arizona, 71st. Neither of those teams won a game in the dance. Wichita State in 2018, same deal. 2014 with Duke. I think that was the Grayson Allen-led Blue Devils. Zilch in the dance. So you get my point, Stephen. Teams that can't defend, especially at that poor of a rate like Kentucky has defended since the middle mark of December, don't fare well in the NCAA tournament. And we'll get to the Arkansas side of things in a moment. But when I say that to you, are you a believer in Kentucky, especially at the defensive end of the court? Um, I think their offense has a ceiling any given night to help them survive that defense. But I agree with you, big picture. That is not the profile of a team I want to be backing to make a Final Four run. I completely agree with you on that. So when I look at their futures and I see 16 to 1 to win the national title, I cringe a little bit. And, and they have been a team that if you're following college basketball Twitter, college basketball betting Twitter, that has been getting a lot of love for for weeks now and for you know since the start of the season and i think there's a good reason why you picked auburn instead of kentucky in this conference to be the team with the high ceiling and 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 make a deep run because they are more well-rounded and better defensively than kentucky as of recently if we look at haslametrics it's five straight games now where kentucky really has not exceeded their defensive expectation by a wide margin. They've either slightly beaten that expectation in that game defensively or performed below expectation. 118th in defensive efficiency. The only metric they excel at on defense is preventing putbacks off of offensive rebounds because they have seven footers on the inside. So if you look at an SEC play in particular, in, in the SEC, they are 11th or worse in three-point field goal percentage defense, two-point field goal percentage defense, and takeaway percentage as well. They're not forcing turnovers. So, you know, it made sense to me why they were on upset alert and eventually did get upset at, at South Carolina because South Carolina has the defense to match up with Kentucky's offense. And with Kentucky's defense not playing very well on any given night, you can pull an upset. South Carolina is number four in the SEC in effective field goal percentage defense. As for Saturday, I'm not sure Arkansas's defense can do enough to slow Kentucky's offense, though, down in this game. This is two versus 12 in terms of three-point field goal percentage among SEC teams, four versus 13 in terms of turnover percentage, Kentucky protecting the ball, Arkansas not able to create turnovers. Three versus 10 in terms of Kentucky's offensive efficiency versus Arkansas's conference rank and defensive efficiency. So I I think Arkansas sucks, man. Like, honestly, I, that's where I'm at on this. And I know Bud Walton Reed is a, a tough place to play, but we already saw Auburn go in there and beat the tail off of off of Arkansas, too. So I'm not exactly running to the window to lay this many points in Kentucky on the road with their defensive issues like you pointed out. But I'm also not excited to bat back Arkansas at this point, too. It's certainly a situation where I am going to be looking to to fade Kentucky in other road environments, though, I think. Yeah, and to your point with Arkansas, this isn't your typical Eric Musselman conjured up team that he got in the portal, especially you look at the last couple of Arkansas teams or maybe before last season, the previous two made it to uh, the Elite Eight-ish, I think, in the NCAA tournament. Last year, Sweet 16, despite under exceeding expectations in conference play. But a couple of injuries, like I mentioned, Brazil, Trevon Brazil, one of the better bigs in the SEC, dealing with soreness in the knee that he had surgically repaired a year ago, torn ACL last December. So who knows if he's going to play. And then Trevon Mark also missed the blowout loss at Ole Miss midweek with a migraine. So key guard and a key big, especially with Brazil being one of the lone pieces on Arkansas that can effectively attack Kentucky's lacking pick-and-roll defense. So it's not only do you want to back an ugly Arkansas team that struggles when they're healthy, but they may not have two of their integral pieces at both ends of the floor. Brazil's ability to switch, and again, 
attack the paint and space out these Kentucky four and fives. Yeah, I'm not running to the window to back Arkansas. I'm interested to see how Kentucky, if Kentucky bounces back from that South Carolina loss, if Arkansas is fully healthy, considering this is kind of their Super Bowl hype spot at home. Conference game, you got 18 to 22-year-olds trying to knock off one of the better teams in college basketball, at least when you look at the AP Top 25. And heck, I have them in my top 15, so I'm not saying that Kentucky is bad by any stretch or close to that. But I just think Kentucky has gotten too hyped up over the last couple of weeks. You get Big Z over from Croatia, and you get people just looking at their offensive efficiency versus the full picture. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at Arkansas's resume, since that you know resume-worthy win against Duke back in November, I mean, what has this team done? They've beaten Furman, Lipscomb, Abilene Christian, UNC Wilmington, and a one-point win at home against Texas A&M. That's it. Like that's all that it's it's nothing that it's been too long since that Duke game to still dwell on that. So, you know, here's the other funny part. Arkansas is only 10 and eight and both shot quality and Ken Palm agree. They're actually pretty lucky to be 10 and eight. So that's interesting, too. Now, enough about Arkansas back to Kentucky. We do need to at least still monitor them, Eli. We're almost to February here. You and I both know that that Calipari teams over the years tend to continue to get better as we get closer to March. He's not exactly an X's and O's guy, but his teams have steadily improved when they have talent in certain years and made runs to the Final Four. So we need to at least monitor to see if this defense does improve between now and Selection Sunday. And it better because the other thing about their offense, even though they're pretty highly rated in a lot of these metrics – they're not inside the top 200 in rim and three rate with the, and with the talent they have with their outside shooting at Kentucky for the first time in a long time in Lexington and the bigs they have on the inside, isn't it kind of inexcusable for Kentucky not to be inside the top 200 in rim and three rate? Isn't that kind of like a little bit of coaching malpractice here? You look at Kentucky's three point attempt rate across college basketball, and it's definitely up from where it's been in the past. So Just kind of looking at the last decade plus, I think you could say it's better than it has been under Calipari. But is it still where it should be compared to the the landscape of college basketball? Correct. In the landscape of Calipari's recent teams or even the teams he's coached, it's better and it's, it's definitely improved. But right, across modern day college basketball, like I said, they are taking their fair share of threes, but you don't have your traditional back-to-the-basket big. You look at the last couple of years with Kentucky, you had Oscar Shibwe a couple of years ago winning the Wooden Award, so you had a true back-to-the-basket big and one of the best second-chance creators in the country, and then they didn't really have three-point shooting outside of Kellen Grady when that Kentucky team was the number two seed two years ago. I had a future at Kentucky that year, and Grady had plantar fasciitis, and they were upset by St. Peter's in the first round of the NCAA tournament just because they couldn't shoot and they failed to make free throws in overtime and upsets happen. But yeah, in the complete landscape of college basketball, if we're not looking at the way Kentucky has constructed their offense since Calipari took over in Lexington, it could be better. Yeah, I agree. You know, looking at their team profile page on Haslametrics, they're third in the nation in three-point percentage against the the average opponent. They're only 188th in three-point attempt rate per 100 trips down the court against the average opponent. So, again, better than a lot of Calipari teams in the past. Probably not where it should be with the talent they have and the shooters they have on the outside. So, um, any final thoughts here? You ready to move on to the next one? Let's keep it moving. All right, man, let's do it. In the SEC as well, Eli's new favorite team, uh, lifelong Auburn fan since 2023. Number eight, Auburn at Mississippi State, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time tip-off. This one on SEC Network on Saturday. Haslam Metrics makes this spread Auburn minus six on the road, over under around 143. Eli, in your rankings, still a tad higher on Auburn than the AP poll. Number six versus number eight, Mississippi State unranked in this one. We just saw Auburn fight like hell against their rival on the road at Alabama, come up short on Wednesday night. You kind of previewed on last week's episode that we might be getting into a little bit of a lull for Auburn in their schedule. 
one loss down, are they on upset alert again on Saturday? Mississippi State, I don't know if they could take advantage of Auburn the way Alabama did on Wednesday night, but I'll get to the matchups in a second. And you brought up Auburn losing at Alabama, overcoming that 15-point halftime deficit or double-digit halftime deficit, which was impressive. I thought they were just lay flat in the second half, and maybe we would continue to see the issues that we saw in the first half, which was poor shot selection. But they kept going to Janai Broom, or at least got him the ball more so in transition than they did in the first half, which was an adjustment and something that you don't necessarily expect to see with a team that is facing a team that wants to push you offensively and make Auburn run up and down the floor, which isn't what Auburn necessarily wants to do, at least defensively. They want to keep you more so in the half court. So I was impressed with the Tigers' second half comeback, still without a quad one win, which is... Definitely glaring, and I previewed this on thelines.com with my Auburn-Alabama preview going back to before the game, obviously, and the three-point defensive aggression I thought was inevitable, and Alabama took advantage like hell in the first half. Kind of came back down to earth in the second half, but my biggest question with this Auburn team, whether it's in the short term against Mississippi State or long term for our futures Got 80 to 1 back in November, now in the 15 to 20 to 1 ranges. Who's creating offensively within the Tigers' backcourt? Aiden Holloway kind of seems like a ghost down the stretch. Five star freshman, yes, but we've yet to see him be able to create in isolation situations. They got Denver Jones from FIU, really good three point shooter, one of the better and more underrated on ball and off ball defensive players in college basketball, but. Can't really create and was on the bench for the final six to seven minutes of that game against Alabama. Now, I will say one of the best, if not the best second unit in college basketball, believe it or not, the second most efficient lineup in the country is Auburn's second unit. And they rank top 10, I think, in bench minutes. And of course, top 10 in adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency. And that plays to the kind of depth they have with the athleticism they have, not only in their starting lineup, but off the bench. And then when I go into the matchups within this game, Mississippi State has lost for their last six. So, a bit of a bounce back spot for the Bulldogs if you believe they can get right at home. Maybe due for a little bit of positive regression from three, 32.2% in SEC play in terms of their perimeter efficiency. But I broke this down in my preview, SEC preview, like I mentioned over at thelines.com. SEC teams don't necessarily shoot well from three since the three-point line was kind of stretched back, dating back to before the 2019-2020 season. So is this really a bounce-back spot for the Bulldogs from deep? We'll see against an Auburn team that may be a little bit more due for negative variance in terms of their three-point efficiency defensively. The key, though... At both ends of the floor, it's going to come down to Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell against Tolu Smith and vice versa. Does the Mississippi State big have the advantage or does Broom and Cardwell off the bench to an extent offensively, more so defensively against Tolu Smith? Are they able to get the upper hand? So I don't see a lot of mismatches for Mississippi State. That said, I make this line closer to Auburn minus four and a half minus five. So still kind of see this as maybe... Going back to your point about what I said last week, maybe another loss here for Auburn, especially if this is another close game, which keep in mind, Auburn has only had four games that were up in the air in terms of a two-possession game with five minutes left this season, so they haven't played a lot of close games, and shot selection and shot creation down the stretch could be an issue if that happens once again. Yeah, by the way, that was an eye-popping stat that since the three-point line got moved back in the landscape of all the conferences, more than 20 conferences, the SEC has never been in the top 15 in three-point field goal percentage. And Auburn fits that mold again. I mean, this is potentially one of the areas where Mississippi State could have an advantage in this game. Auburn outside the top 100 in three-point field goal percentage and Mississippi State top 10 in defending the three this season. So if if that happens again in this one, then... That's going to lower the ceiling for Auburn in this particular matchup. Also, Auburn in SEC play only ranks 12th in the conference in offensive rebounding percentage allowed. So 
uh, potentially second chance opportunities for Mississippi State and their struggling offense in this matchup. Now, obviously, Auburn is going to have a handful of advantages. That's why they are rightfully favored in this one. A lot of it comes on the defensive end. They are number three in effective field goal percentage D and against the Mississippi State offense. That's only 133 in that metric. Mississippi State gives the ball away a lot. Number 251 in the country and giving the ball away. Auburn number 35 in protecting the ball offensively and in SEC play. Auburn number one in the conference in takeaway percentage. So they're forcing a lot of turnovers as well. Um, lastly, I mean, if the other thing that kind of makes me queasy when you're talking about trying to take a dog to cover, you know, a spread like this, if it's going to be less than three possessions, one team's really good at shooting free throws. The other sucks. You know, Auburn is <laughs> number one in the conference in free throw percentage and Mississippi state is number 14. So when you're trying to find those extra points to cover the spread here, Eli, that always makes me a little nervous, but um, perhaps this is a spot where, Everybody at this point knows how good Auburn is. Everybody knows that they're coming off of a loss. You know, we haven't seen it a lot in the market where a road team is getting steamed, especially in conference play. But if for whatever reason this were to go from six to seven, eight, nine, um, you know, at that point, then I would start considering Mississippi State. And again, a friendly reminder to everybody, uh, even though we don't have the logistics here of knowing what the spreads are with the nature of when sportsbook release odds at the lines.com top right hand corner hit the discord button and whenever i lock in a bet for college basketball you will find it under the staff basketball bets channel you can also go to the roll server and opt in for push notifications to your discord app to make sure you know immediately whenever i lock in a bet for college basketball thankfully still with a winning record this season after uh <laughs> an undefeated saturday and without a win on uh on midweek here so that's just the nature of college basketball but uh, just a final note here on this matchup, Eli, for me, you know, just what, what's your reaction to that? Because I see some advantages on both sides here. What do you value most when you're looking at this matchup in particular? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with Auburn's ability to pressure the ball and Mississippi State coughing it up. That's also yeah. how Auburn got back into the game against Alabama, forcing turnovers. Eden Holloway isn't that kind of guard. And by Still the way, under got Got a what I thought was a really rough call at the end when they coffin cornered Alabama and had him tied up with nowhere to go and got called for a reach in foul when he was literally facing him face to face. So that that was rough. But I digress. Yeah, but did Chad Baker Mazzara deserve to get a foul call on that three point attempt? I'm not so sure. Then again, the referee after he made those first two free throws said, just for context, Auburn was down one or down three before Baker Mazzara attempted the three free throws because he was fouled on a three, made the first two. Referee official walks away pretty long duration before he gave the ball back to Baker yeah, Mazzara. Can we, can we check the zip code of that, uh, of that referee? I'm, I'm yeah. just kidding. But yeah, that was weird. It was odd. And then he gets the ball, misses the free throw, rattles out. That's life in the SEC. I was not expecting Auburn to win that game just because I thought it was a little bit of a difficult spot. Also, to your point about these Mississippi State guards, whether it's just efficiency at the free throw line or overall offensive efficiency, can Mississippi State take advantage with switching and getting broom on one of these guards like Alabama did? Mark Sears is a veteran point guard, six foot one, so Definitely has more size than Mississippi State's most explosive guard, and he comes off the bench. The freshman Josh Hubbard is five foot eleven, explosive microwave score. If you want to use a cliche, but he doesn't really have the savvy is the word I was looking for. But on top of that, he doesn't have the bill that Sears does. Even though Sears is not a six two six three point guard, so I don't know if Mississippi State could take advantage of Auburn like that. But back to your original question, Auburn's ability to generate turnovers and leak out in transition against this Mississippi state defense, which is much more efficient in the half court at that end of the floor, like Auburn is for that matter. I think that's going to be the mismatch unless this is a close game down the stretch, which is where we're going to see Auburn potentially struggle yet again, since they don't really have that, or they haven't really identified that go-to guard. And do they have that go-to guard down the stretch to get you a bucket? 
That's the other question about this team. Uh, for those of you watching on the YouTube side, my light is starting to flicker like some of the gyms in the SEC. So let's get the hell out of this conference and move on to the next game here in the Big <laughs> 12. In the Big 12, number seven, Kansas goes on the road to take on number 23, Iowa State. This one, a 1.30 p.m. tip off on Saturday. You can watch it on CBS. Get a nice little early preview of the March Madness music on the CBS regular season matchup here. Haslametrics has the spread of at Iowa State, despite being significantly lower ranked in the AP poll. Haslametrics makes the spread Iowa State minus seven, close to minus seven and a half on their home floor, over under around 145, 146, right in the middle there. And this is what's interesting to me about this matchup. I mentioned the AP poll, Kansas seven, Iowa State 23. Eli has similar rankings here. Kansas number eight, Iowa State number 16. But if we look at Haslametrics, they're flip-flopped. Iowa State is higher ranked and Kansas has been downgraded a little bit. So I ask you, Eli, what do you think is playing into this difference between your rankings and our respected friends over at Haslametrics when it comes to Kansas and Iowa state here? Well, first I want to preface, I kind of hate both of these teams for <laughs> different, different reasons, but I make this game, Iowa state favored by about two and a half, three at home. So just because I have Kansas higher, doesn't mean that I'm necessarily favoring the Jayhawks in a very difficult road spot. This is one of the best home environments in college basketball, just like Alabama has, just like Auburn has, and Kentucky at Rupp for that matter. Iowa State has it at Hilton, and they have the advantage too when you look at some of these matchups because Cyclones force the highest percentage of turnovers across college basketball, like Auburn, one of the best ball pressure units defensively, in the country, and Kansas doesn't really have the depth to negate that. And when I say that, you can get worn down offensively, and when you don't have numerous guards off the bench that can handle ball pressure, that can be taxing over the full course of a 40-minute college basketball game. Furphy has really made strides for Kansas in the starting lineup, but outside of what we saw from Nick Timberlake last week against West Virginia— Kansas's depth is pretty gross. That's one reason why I don't like the Jayhawks in this matchup individually and in the long term, but also because foul trouble could be a big issue for the Jayhawks when it comes to them defending Iowa State. And Iowa State, the reason why I don't like the Cyclones in big picture-wise long-term is because I don't trust their offense. I don't trust them to be able to create in the half court. But where Kansas can be had defensively is they allow a lot of free throws, so they do struggle to stay out of foul trouble for a team that really lacks depth. Big concern. And they also struggle to limit second chance shots, both areas where Iowa State can really take advantage in. And at the other end of the court, where is Kansas's biggest offensive advantage? It's with Hunter Dickinson, the Michigan transfer down low, another player I absolutely hate. I don't know how you could like or even have any positive feelings towards Hunter Dickinson. But Cyclones post-defense led by Robert Jones is very, very, very efficient. So I don't think there are any matchup advantages for Kansas in this game, to be completely honest, on top of the fact that this is a extremely, extremely tough place to play like I touched on from the top. I'm not saying Iowa State should be favored by three possessions, but two and a half, three is where I have this game line favoring Iowa State. We like to joke sometimes that Ken Palm is where sportsbooks go to set the lines and Haslametrics is where betters go to move the lines. So uh, if that's the case, you know, Ken Palm's around Iowa State minus four here. Uh, so I'm thinking maybe we get a lower number than what we're seeing from Haslametrics when this opens. If that's the case, if I can get closer to three here on Kansas, that's my hope. Uh, with them still being the higher-ranked team in the mainstream college basketball world, then I'm going to be interested in Iowa State here. I saw some of the same things you did, Eli, just to put some more numbers on the points you were making. Not only is Iowa State great at taking the ball away in Kansas 131st in giveaway percentage, Iowa State converts off of those two. They're number one in the country in fast-break points off of steals. And Kansas is number 75 in defending fast break points after giving the ball away. 
another great metric over at Haslametrics. So I agree with you there. And I 100% agree with you with the depth issues from Kansas. And again, to put a number on it, Kansas ranks 355th in bench minutes this year. That's horrendous. They're also 226th in offensive rebounding percentage. That is inexcusable for Hunter Dickinson. He should be getting more offensive rebounds. They're also 254th in rim and three rate. So no depth. They get tired. And their shot selection is below average, in my opinion, by looking at rim and three rate. What What is the ceiling for this Kansas team if that's the case? Like when we get to the brackets, Eli, this is absolutely a year where this is one of those Kansas teams where I'm going to be looking to fade at a certain point. So keep that in the back of your head, everybody. Uh, but I'm with you there. If we get the right number here, you know, maybe closer to one possession, I'm probably going to be interested in, in in taking Iowa State here just off of that angle of being able to tire Kansas out and being able to get extra possessions off of Kansas not being able to protect the ball. Fair? Very fair. Not to put a damper on our positivity for the Cyclones in regards to this matchup and just negativity with Kansas overall, but the one area of concern I have with Iowa State is for this matchup solely from a market rating perspective. Iowa State probably shouldn't have covered against Kansas State. Then again, it's Kansas State has been one of the most fortunate teams in college basketball over the last couple of years under Jerome Tang. I know they made it to the Elite Eight last year, but I still think they're undefeated under Tang in his very short tenure with the Wildcats. That said, Iowa State winning by 11, line closed against Kansas State around minus eight. So will the market bump up Iowa State too much? You said maybe we'll get a three. Maybe, but I am a little bit worried just because if the market drives up Iowa State, that's where this could get to the range of unplayable. I'm going to put you on the spot, ask you one more question here, because I think the Big 12 conference in particular is really interesting in the race for the regular season title. Right now, as we record on Thursday, you have Texas Tech at the top, four and one in the conference. Then the two lost teams are Houston, Kansas, Iowa State, and Kansas State. And then you have Baylor as the only other team above 500 at three and two. Despite the standings being pretty packed right now, Houston is favored over the field at BetMGM at minus 110 to be the regular season champion in the Big 12. Do you agree with that? Or at that price... Are you possibly interested in taking a shot at one of these other Big 12 teams? Maybe Baylor, but I don't trust them enough defensively. This is not your typical Scott Drew defense. And granted, we haven't seen the Bears have that Scott Drew-led defense going back to what they had when they won the national championship a few years ago. So it's been a while, but... Baylor ranking outside, I think, the top 60 in adjusted defensive efficiency. Yeah, ranked 63rd. So I'm not there with Baylor. That would be the only team that I think could challenge a Houston. I honestly think that price is kind of short. I'm not saying I like Houston in the long term, and you're probably asking yourself, what team has Eli said that he likes in the long term for the NCAA tournament? damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a little concerned about their guard play, so keep that in mind as a caveat. And the answer is, you're right. I haven't really said one team because I do think there are going to be a lot of upsets. Man, one and done. It's volatile. It's hard to get in love with somebody completely like like you did with UConn last year. Exactly. And and I also wasn't super high on them going into (laughs) March. Where Houston gets themselves into trouble is their shot selection. They really take some difficult shots. But man, does Calvin Sampson get a lot with their guards out of their guards defensively and he has done this year in and year out since he took over this Cougars program LJ Cryer was not known for being a defensive player at Baylor he has turned into that which is I I never thought would happen going back to the way this Baylor team was constructed over the last couple years like I said not a good defensive team and LJ Cryer was one of the liabilities at that end. Calvin Sampson has turned him into a very, very good and efficient defender. So going back to your question, I think Houston at minus 110, that may be a buy point. You could have gotten plus money on them over the last couple of weeks, but I don't see any of these teams really competing with Houston to win the 
Big 12 regular season title. Now, if we're talking about matchups and seeding in the Big 12 tournament, maybe I have a little bit of a different angle. But regular season-wise, I think it's Houston and then everybody else. I think you're probably right. I mean, Ken Palm still projects Houston to win the conference by three games. So you may be right that minus 110 is is short here. I'll at least just throw out a long shot. Um, It's at least schedule-wise interesting to me that Texas Tech doesn't play Houston again. They only play Kansas once. So the schedule's a little bit more manageable for Texas Tech because they're not getting these tough matchups at the top of the conference. They, they've already beaten BYU, another highly um, rated team in the Big 12. And they only play Iowa State once. So, I mean, some of these tough doubleheaders that you have on the conference schedule for these upper echelon Big 12 teams, Texas Tech doesn't have that. So uh, it's probably still Houston, but if I'm going to take a long shot, at least – by the schedule, Texas Tech is at least interesting to me. So, but I, I I tend to agree with you. I at least wanted to mention it because you know it's a bloodbath in the Big Twelve if if you look at the standings already, and we're not even basically halfway through the conference. So, uh, interesting note there for sure. Let's move to the ACC before we wrap up this week's pod. Two games that we'll talk about with Duke and North Carolina this weekend. We will begin Clemson at. Number 12, Duke. 4 p.m. Eastern time tip-off on Saturday. This one on ESPN. Haslametrics makes Duke a little bit more than a five-point favorite, around five and a quarter, over under 156. Eli, you have Duke a little bit higher than the AP poll, nine for you versus 12 for the AP. And you do have Clemson in your top 25, unlike the AP poll. So, What was it about this matchup in particular for Duke that caught your eye? Yeah, maybe Duke is on upset alert like we saw last week against Pitt. Granted, didn't have Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell, but lost outright to the Panthers. Blake Kinson standing on the scores table. What were your takeaways from just that individually? Yeah, I'm just like thinking of Coach K and the Aflac commercials, except this time he's watching that scene and he's clutching his pearls by the pool. Uh, The photos were phenomenal of the the double birds from all the extremely smart Duke students in the student section that will be executives (laughs) at some Fortune 500 company down the road. But they will always be remembered if they look back at the photos of giving that guy on the scorer's table the double bird. It was just an awesome college basketball scene, quite frankly. It was great. Yeah, I don't think I could have said it any better myself, so I won't try to. But Duke healthy, Roach and Mitchell back, came back for their trouncing of Louisville. Like Then again, every team has done that to Louisville this season, as you well know, being in the area. But the one thing I will say about... (laughs) fair, Fair enough. The one thing I will say about Clemson is they had a week to prepare for Duke. Beat Florida State at Florida State, and we'll get to the Seminoles for their matchup against North Carolina here in a bit. But coming off that double-digit win, so you've had a lot of time to get ready for this Duke team, maybe playing to Brad Barnell's advantage. I don't know how much of a coaching prep edge I give him over John Shire. Then again, Shire has kind of underperformed my expectations in his short Duke tenure after taking over for Coach K, but... Issue for Clemson is they struggle to defend in transition. That's where Duke can be elite, especially with Tyrese Proctor coming off the bench and this team fully healthy. And Duke is particularly efficient when it comes to their pick and roll offense and getting Filipowski in those ball screen sets to the rim. And that's where Clemson can really, really have issues defensively. They rank in the ninth percentile per synergy in terms of their pick and roll defense. That's not good. Even though it's a low number and you may say, okay, top 10? No, bottom 10 in college basketball when it comes to their ranking, defending, pick and rolls, and Duke can really exploit them in that regard. So is Clemson going to continue to get right from three? If they want to cover this number, I make this closer to Duke being favored by about six. At Cameron, you're going to need to shoot like you did against the Seminoles, seven of 17 from deep. This Clemson offense can, with their five-out spacing, you have P.J. Hall, one of the best players in college basketball. I don't think that's that big of an overstatement, but if Clemson can space out this Duke defense, then 
maybe you keep this game within a couple possessions. But I think defensively, even though they've had some extra time to prep for Duke, especially in the half court, pick and roll defense is going to be an issue. I think both offenses are going to have a lot of success in this game, Eli. Um, if if Clemson is going to pull an upset or get inside two possessions here, they're going to have to rely on their offense. Just overall, Duke's offense, number nine by efficiency over at Haslametrics versus the number 89 Clemson defense and the Clemson offense, number seven in efficiency versus Duke's number 53 defensive efficiency. Elsewhere, Duke's three-point field goal percentage D is quite poor. They are number 217 nationally and 10th in ACC play. And if Clemson gets some positive regression here with their three-point field goal shooting, then yeah, they can they can cover this number and, and maybe put Duke on upset alert here because if you look at their season as a whole, they're number 71 overall, but they are 6% less than that in ACC play. They have not shot the ball well during conference play versus what they did in non-conference play. They're 13th in the ACC in three-point shooting. So as you like to say and point out, potentially some positive three-point field goal regression here at some point for Clemson. But they're going to have to score because this D is pretty bad. Uh, 335th in takeaway percentage, 230th in three-point field goal percentage overall. The one area that is interesting to me is if Clemson can get out on Duke shooters, I think Clemson has potentially an advantage here in getting some easy buckets near the basket. Their near proximity rates here. Duke's offense is only 95th in the country in getting near proximity baskets versus Clemson being 19th in the country at defending those shots around the rim. And Clemson's offense, 22nd in near proximity offense versus 122 for Duke's defense. So on both sides around the rim, I actually think that's the one spot where Clemson might be able to to get an advantage on Duke here, believe it or not. The one caveat I have for that is Duke's transition defense has improved a lot ever since that Arkansas game. So it's not only Clemson getting out in transition, which is how... Duke has struggled defending the rim, to your point, against teams like Upper Echelon, Arizona, title contender in the Wildcats for sure, and one of the opening games of the season. Arizona got out on the break a lot with Duke Slayer, Caleb Love, and really, really explosive Arizona guards. But I will give Shire credit in that regard. They have improved. So I don't know if I'm as much concerned about that area for Duke defensively as you are, just because it kind of has even itself out. And to be fair, Duke has actually improved above par when it comes to their defensive rim field goal percentage, especially in transition, because that's where a lot of those numbers come from. Fair enough. So, and, you know, any strong, you know, are you going to be watching this spread closely here? You know, it's at five for Haslam metrics. You know, is there one side that you're hoping to maybe get some action on here if the spread goes a certain way? Is there one side you definitely don't want any part of in this game? If Clemson falls behind early, and that seems like the easy way out, a lot of bettors, novice bettors, will say, okay, bet the favorite, A, and B, bet the favorite when they're up in a game and take them laying double digits. But if Clemson isn't hitting from three, I have a hard time. Yeah, We both touched on that. I have a hard time seeing the Tigers coming back in this game. You got to get off to a hot start in a very tough road environment, even though it's not like this Duke defense is elite by any stretch. But that's Clemson's only chance of not only upsetting, but covering the number is getting hot from behind the arc. Elsewhere in the ACC, number three, North Carolina goes on the road to take on Florida State. 2 p.m. tip off Saturday. This one on ESPN. Haslametrics makes Carolina about a nine and a half point favorite on the road. Total close to 149. Eli, you're still a little bit lower than the AP poll in North Carolina at number seven. Florida State, obviously unranked both by you and the AP poll. So, I mean, it's not like you're killing North Carolina here. You still have them as number seven versus number three in the AP poll. But perhaps give us some insight here about why you're maybe a little more bearish than the AP. Yeah, like you said, still a top 10 power rated team for me. But when you're allowing... ACC opponents to shoot 22 and a half percent 
from three. And it's the biggest difference, by the way, this per John Gassaway. Really, really great college basketball writer, especially when it comes to analytics. Biggest difference from a conference average. And keep in mind, the ACC average is 35% in the last five seasons. So UNC forces you, as in the opponent, into a lot of isolation sets. That's where I'll give them credit defensively. And they are much more in tune defensively than even the runner-up team was going back to a couple of years ago when underperformed in the regular season and greatly outperformed expectations in the NCAA tournament and got lucky for that matter with their opponent's three-point shooting. But back to my point, can Florida State take advantage of that? Can you exploit UNC from three? Because just like Auburn, UNC is going to be had eventually from behind the arc, whether it's a large sample size or even just in a one-game short sample. And Florida State got right from three. We You hit on, can Clemson get right from three against Duke or continue to? Will Florida State continue to get right from three? Florida State shot 12-28 against UNC going back to their early season ACC matchup where Florida State lost by eight at the Dean Dome. And Florida State shot 35% from three in a 16-point win against Syracuse in their most recent ACC matchup. So that's something to keep in mind because Florida State does have perimeter floor spacing, and especially Darren Green the UCF transfer going back to a couple of years ago, one of the best perimeter floor spacers, especially off ball screen action. And that's where you can attack North Carolina in ball screen coverage with Armando Baycott. And Green is one of the most lethal three-point shooters, one of the most underrated marksmen in the country. So I, I think Florida State can have an advantage just like they did when they covered a pretty big number at North Carolina and they got hot from three in early December. So, Pretty good spot here to fade the Tar Heels to me. I'm going to push back on you a little bit and challenge you and ask ask for your response to it. Uh, you're mentioning that you expect North Carolina's three-point field goal defense to regress at some point. And I will just ask, why are you so sure about that? Because if we look at shot quality, Carolina's number 13 in shot quality defense, that implies that they are a legitimate elite defense in college basketball, that it's not just, you know, poor shooting by their opponents. Uh, They are number one in three point field goal percentage allowed versus the average opponent, Florida state, you know, perhaps you're forecasting some positive regression here, but overall on the season, they don't take many threes. They're 323rd in the country in three point attempt rate and barely above the top 200 in three point percentage versus the average opponent by Haslametric. So I guess I'll just ask what makes you so sure that what we're seeing from North Carolina is a complete outlier and won't just, even if it regresses a little bit, it's still a really good perimeter defense. It seems to me. Right. And that's because they force you into isolation. So you look back at that wake forest win at the Dean dome, tough place to play, but Wake Forest market was on Wake Forest on the Demon Deeks in that game. I think they closed around seven and a half point road dogs, but a lot of isolation threes, a lot of tough, difficult, contested shots. So was that the right matchup to back Wake Forest? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they got a little unlucky with some of their open threes, but Florida State schematically, I give Leonard Hamilton credit. I don't know how he's still coaching. He looks like he's 50 years old, even though I think he's in his mid-70s. But Florida State took 28 threes at the Dean Dome last time these teams played. And like I touched on, shot above 40%. So he adjusted schematically for a Florida State team, to your point, that doesn't take a lot of threes, bottom 60 in a three-point scoring rate in the country offensively. So I challenge you back that Florida State will adjust and they will take threes unless Leonard Hamilton is napping during the game. Fair enough. Yeah. Leonard Hamilton. I hope I look that good when I'm in my mid seventies and I can already tell you I'm minus 1000 not to look that good when I'm <laughs> in my in my mid seventies. So, Hey, you know, I, I give you credit. You're right. You know, he, he had a, an opponent specific game plan for that matchup against North Carolina the last time. So, you know, fair points there for sure. And I mean, certainly never excited to lay this many points on the road, close to double digits with anybody at this point in this time of the year. And and we know that 
you know, perhaps this Florida State team isn't as talented as some of the ones we've seen in recent years, but we both would agree that they are certainly well coached. Uh, last note here before we get to our surprise market that I can't wait to get Eli's reaction to here. Is the Wooden Award already decided with Zach Eady at this point? He's anywhere between minus 750 to minus 1000. And I ask that here when we're talking about North Carolina, because if there is at least one person who I think might be able to pull the upset, it's RJ Davis of North Carolina. He has been phenomenal, in my opinion, the best guard in the country. He's anywhere between 20 and 25 to one after being 50 to one a couple of weeks ago. Do you agree with me if that if somehow Edie were to lose or to have an injury that RJ Davis is next in line, A, and B, is it already wrapped up for Edie? I think it's wrapped up. I thought it's it's funny because I thought that was going to be the surprise market that you had for me. So nope. now I'm really intrigued as to what that is. But <laughs> you look at Kempom Player of the Year standings. Edie, number one, then Deron Holmes. Dayton has really, really taken a step in a play. And it's, I'm excited to watch this team in the dance because we didn't get to see that Obi Top and Dayton team, even though I thought they were a little bit of a paper tiger going back to the COVID year. But Deron Holmes, one of the best bigs in college basketball and under discussed, we haven't talked about him on the podcast since we started doing this going back to a few weeks ago. So he's definitely in the running now. Definitely not from a market perspective. And what are Holmes's odds at, by the way? Holmes is at, I'm still searching right now. Uh, so keep talking filibuster for me and I'll try and find him. Filipowski, I know, is right there with Edie, or maybe not from an implied probability standpoint, but definitely in the race. When it comes to the guys near Edie or closest to catching Edie, he's third in Ken Pomp's Player of the Year standings. Then Jani Broom for our Auburn Tigers. Jane Ledee for San Diego State, who's made a big leap after getting a ton of front court minutes, playing the backup role on last year's runner-up team. Jamal Shedd for Houston, and then it's R.J. Davis. So from a blue blood, like this is the best player on a top five AP top 25 team, R.J. Davis is in the running, but I, I don't know if the market will all of a sudden fall in love with R.J. Davis. A, because unless Edie gets hurt, I just don't see that in, in the realm of possibility. So long story short, I think it's wrapped up. And when you look at metrics wise, Davis isn't even in the top five. So Holmes is not listed at most sports books, but he is listed at DraftKings at 60 to one to answer your question. For the Dayton star. Yeah. So I'm not even saying to throw a dart on him. My point was, was just, he's been one of the most a underrated. If you don't even want to talk about winning the wooden award, but one of the most impactful players in college basketball, which is what the wooden award is meant for. Unless it's 80 year olds like Leonard Hamilton voting for the award and they vote for RJ Davis. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about it because, I mean, obviously most people presume it'll be Edie again, but I just wonder, you know, if there might be some voter fatigue when it comes to him. That That's really the biggest reason I ask. And it's it's always hard to try and determine that. But, you know, we do see that with awards sometimes that there might be some fatigue with a certain player. Yeah, but he's made a step to that point, And I brought this up a few, maybe even in non-conference play when I was doing outside shots that Edie has been elite and much, much, much improved when it comes to passing out of doubles, which may seem easy to you, especially when you're talking about a seven foot four big that gets doubled and Purdue has outside shooting, but he has been much more willing to pass the ball to the perimeter and Purdue has cashed in a lot more. So it helps his assist numbers, but it also makes him a more well-rounded player when you look at efficiency and the kind of impact he makes on this Purdue team and also just individually across college basketball. So I don't think there will be voter fatigue. It's not like he's taken a step back in any regard, like we saw Oscar Sheboy do last year. And he wasn't even in the Wooden Award conversation when you look back to last year's Kentucky team. All right. The funniest college basketball betting market I have seen in years. At BetMGM, there is a market 
for the last winless team remaining in college basketball. There are only two teams left in Division One who do not have a win this year. Detroit Mercy and Mississippi Valley State. First of all, Eli, it's NFL Conference Championship weekend. Can you name me the best football player to ever come out of Mississippi Valley State? Well, I'm going to assume it's on one of the four remaining tees, but I could not, no. Jerry Rice went to Mississippi Valley State University, the greatest wide receiver of all time. Anyway, the odds for... I have a question uh, for you. Did you know that? Did you know that being a Niners fan, or did you have to look that up? I did. I knew it being a Niners fan. It's just such a weird, random school that, you know... It's hard to forget when, you know, one of the greatest players of all time goes to a weird random school like that. But yeah, Jerry Rice, the greatest receiver ever, who's got a bunch of records that probably will never be broken, went to Mississippi Valley State University. So, uh, yeah, if you look at Haslametrics, Mississippi Valley State is 362 out of 362 teams in Division One. Detroit Mercy 353, slightly better. If you look at projected final scores over the next few weeks here, Detroit Mercy is at least projected to win one game this year on Valentine's Day against IUPUI. So that is why Mississippi Valley State is a minus 250 favorite to be the last winless team. So you're you're betting... On, you know, it's 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 kind of inverted here, so it's not you're not betting who's going to win first. You're betting on who's just not going to win. Um, so Detroit Mercy has at least one game on their schedule by Haslametrics where they are projected to win. Mississippi Valley State is projected to go winless for the entire season. <laughs> However, Eli, Mississippi Valley State's schedule before that Valentine's Day game for Detroit Mercy, where they're projected to win. Mississippi Valley State has several games against teams that are also not ranked in the top 300 by Haslametrics. So, have I interested you in taking Detroit Mercy at plus 200 to actually be the last winless team? Or is this just so ludicrous that you can't even you don't even want to wrap your head around it? <laughs> well, it's ludicrous to the point that I'm not betting it. I don't know if I don't. I don't know if I. I'll wrap my head around it. I think. I don't know if I'm. I'm gonna bet it necessarily. But you hear the term addition by subtraction, and it doesn't apply to Detroit Mercy because they lost their best score in Davis, one of the best scores mid major wise and in college basketball in general over the last three four years. And the son of Mike Davis, that coach, and they have underperformed and then some from what the expectations were coming into the this season in the horizon league. I will say, I mean, this is obvious just because of the what the market has it at, but Detroit Mercy has been much more competitive in conference play, nearly beating Robert Morris in double overtime, losing by a possession. And like you said, Valentine's Day coming up in a few weeks. So maybe what it's... Ha- by the way, what happened the game after they lost in double overtime? Do you have it in front of you? Yes, they lost by, what is, if I do my quick math here, 39 points? Uh, 41 points they lost to Youngstown State by after almost winning in double overtime. All right, so close enough, but... The legs were just tired, that's all. Yeah, the brain was tired. The brain needs more coffee. (laughs) But if you... Valentine's Day, special Valentine's Day gift, maybe instead of getting your special someone... I don't even know why I'm not even going to go down that path, but because I was about to say something else, maybe just spend the money on a ticket, a lotto ticket that Detroit Mercy is the last defeated team in college basketball. And your special someone will be very upset with you and probably leave your Valentine's Day dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to, to if you're trying to break up with your significant other, I can't think of really any more surefire ways than giving her a Valentine's Day card from your local BetMGM Sportsbook <laughs> with a ticket for Mississippi Valley State at minus 250 to be the last winless team and telling her that tonight you're going to watch Detroit Mercy beat IUPUI for their first win of the season. 
Put that the would phone be on. Rough. Yeah, put the phone on the table, stream the game on <laughs> probably ESPN Plus. That's a way to get divorced, broken up with, and probably in the gutter for the next for the rest of your life. And by the way, you mentioned BetMGM, so we'd be remiss if you if we didn't say you can use BetMGM promo code the lines one word to get up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet loses to get that bonus bet if your first bet loses. So if it wins you take your money and move on. So maybe use your bonus bet, potential bonus bet on that wager, right? Why not? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And That's... that way, that way if it loses, then and your significant other dumps you, then you still get the money back in bonus bet. So at least you're you're not out on on both fronts. I just I'm just really impressed that you dropped Det- Detroit Mercy knowledge on us without even knowing that this topic was coming up on the podcast, that you were able to say that their leading scorer is gone and this is why they haven't won a game this year. So kudos to you for that. You are the sicko of sickos when it comes to college basketball, and I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. That's because I've bet Detroit Mercy, I think, <laughs> of course two of the last have. three years or something like that, to win the conference tournament as a long shot. So sickos like me will know that Davis is such a fun player and definitely came up short in the Horizon League tournament. I love it. I love it. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Outside Shots. Thank you so much for joining us. For Eli Hershkovich, I'm Steven Andres. If you're watching on YouTube, do us a favor. Hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Let us know in the comments what you're betting this weekend in college basketball. If you're listening on the audio side, a five-star review really goes a long way to show your support and gratitude for this free content and also to give us the chance to share it with other people who have not seen it yet. So thank you so much. For Eli, I'm Steven. Best of luck with your bets this weekend in college basketball. And go Mississippi Valley State. (laughs) 